Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. Okay, so uh, finally September. Finally. Finally. Well, it's, finally. It's, it's been September for a long time. But I just mean like, you know, people are finally starting to get into the spooky season. Because now we're like end of September-ish. Yeah, people are finally catching up with us. We're always mm-hmm. in spooky season. Mm-hmm. I've noticed on like social media, mostly TikTok, that people start celebrating like in August now. They're like, as soon as 4th of July, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> spooky season. Doesn't matter how hot it is outside. I'm for that. Me too. Summer <laughs> is my least favorite season. So yep. I'm for that. A hundred percent. It's all summer was just planted in our heads growing up that it was the best season of the year because we didn't have any school. Exactly. But no, it was, it's the worst. It's uncomfortable to be outside. It, mm-hmm. Like you can't wear your comfortable clothes. I hate water sports. <laughs> like I hate being on boats. Oh, I love, I love being on boats. Okay. Well, but we differ there, when's but. a lot, I haven't been on a boat in years though. So, well, I like <laughs> sailboats. Don't get me wrong. I like sailboats, but I don't like boating. I love boating. I love wakeboarding and tubing. Oh, there you go. But I have to have a boat to do that, and I <laughs> don't, so. <laughs> I just have a thing about dark, like deep, dark water. Freaks me out. I hate it. Lakes aren't too bad for me, but the ocean is bad. Yeah, screw the ocean. The ocean sucks. That's <laughs> the other thing. I don't get why people like the ocean so much. Hey, we have we have a ton of money to go on a family vacation. Instead of going to Europe and actually seeing some really cool stuff, we're going to go on a cruise and then die in the ocean, Titanic style. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's in the ocean too, dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, sorry, we're rambling. Okay, well, I have the uh, <laughs> I have the Reddit stories today, and you have the historical story, correct? That I do, yep. Awesome. Um, well, before we get started, just want to let everyone know that any images that are associated with our stories today, we will post those on our Instagram. And uh, if you would like to write into us, send us a story, and we would love to read it on the podcast. These stories can be completely fake, made up. Um, they could be true. That's even better. Um, but as long as they're spooky, we would love to read them. So you can send them to us to our email at SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com, or you can DM those to us on our Instagram. Okay, you ready? I am ready. All right. All right, so this first one was posted by you slash Pantarium, and it is titled The Mausoleum. June 14th, 2022, 3.56 a.m. In a large gated community where it had its own graveyard in Texas, Police were called to the area to inspect the community's graveyard, which was a quarter mile away. Locals were hearing people scream as they would pass by the gated area, worried that some adolescent kids were vandalizing the tombstones and mausoleums. Two officers arrived on the scene and parked their squad car at the graveyard's entrance and proceeded on foot. With their flashlights at the ready, they walked the grounds up and down, making sure no one was around, doing things they shouldn't be doing, but no one was to be found. As they approached the center of the graveyard, they decided to check the hall mausoleum, which was large and made of marble. It held several hundred 
dead bodies. Upon opening the door, the two officers heard the sound of footsteps walking around the corner. Quickly reacting, expecting to see a teen running down the halls, they turned a corner and found no one. Feeling a little spooked, giving the place they were in, they tried their best to make light of the situation, but this time they heard the sound of a voice grunting, as if someone was clearing their throat. They quickly made their way around a few corners of the large hall and yet again found nothing. Having enough scares for one night, the two officers made their way back to the main entrance, but as soon as they turned the last corner, they heard the sound of someone making a wailing sound, followed by a thumping. They shined their flashlights behind them, but that wasn't the direction of the sound that it, that was coming from. It came from within the marble tombs a few feet away. The one officer decided to leave the mausoleum and walk back to the car as he had enough scares for one night, but the remaining officer was feeling fed up, thinking maybe the supposed kids were playing a prank and somehow managed to get inside one of the tombs. Stubborn to prove himself, he banged the back of his flashlight against the marble grave shouting curses, but the moaning from within got louder and the thumping got heavier. Stepping back a foot as he shined his light at the name of the person, which read Mary Hartness, 1967-2020. to The officer slowly put his ear against the stone, and the voice of a woman crying within and what sounded like kicking within her casket. The officer's heart started to pound with fear as all the blood drained from his face. He slowly began to back off as he started to hear more screaming coming from another tomb. Another followed until the crowd of tombs from all over within the mausoleum started thumping with their own horrific screams. The sound became maddening for the officer as he ran out from the building and down the walkway to the car where his partner was standing in disbelief. The community security pulled up in their own cart followed by a few of the residents who were on an evening walk. All heard the screaming and thumping coming from the mausoleum. The screams wouldn't stop and continued throughout the night staring up a crowd of people from the community who all stood at the gates of the cemetery, watching and listening to the faint screams, murmuring with one another in disbelief at what they were witnessing, even as some cried, thinking it could be someone they knew and buried there. As the sun began to rise, the screaming had slowly come to a stop, and the two officers that were too shaken to speak on the subject left the area in a hurry and never returned. The screaming within the mausoleum never happened again, but as a safety measure, someone within the community had a priest come by the graveyard to bless the mausoleum and the grounds, hoping to keep the dead from screaming once more and continue their rest. This story is from True Events, and the identity of the community and its location is hidden due to the community's strict confidentiality rights. Paranormal investigators are deterred from entering the community, and if this place is ever found, then please respect the privacy of the community. What? I want to go there. Are you kidding me? What? Is it true, though? <laughs> well, we I can't mean, find guess, out if it's hidden. I guess it's true because they said so. Oh, so. yeah, I forgot. Right. The cardinal rule. Right. Okay, so this next one was posted by you slash horror underscore writer underscore eight. This one is called Dolls in Captivity. I can just barely see the outline of my small desk and chair. I only have one window in my box-like room, and it is on the opposite wall facing me. I get up slowly, still bruised across my back and ribs from my stepdad teaching me a lesson, to open up my thin curtains. 
We live in the middle of nowhere, which makes it easier to see the stars. However, the hell clouds cover the sky entirely, as if the clouds are punishing me too. When I turned back to my bed, I stopped in my tracks. Didn't I turn my doll away from me? I limped back to my bed, the chain clinking behind me. What are you doing, Cynthia? I asked my porcelain doll as I turned her towards the wall. I sit on the matted carpet, leaning against my bed, and cling to my thin nightgown. I must have fallen asleep because I am startled awake by something touching me. It feels like there is a slight weight on top of my head. The smell of mothballs consumes me, tightening my stomach, burning my nose and throat. And then, I look up, seeing the hem of a dress. Cynthia? Wait, how? She starts moving again, and I dare not twitch a muscle. She gets on her stomach, sliding down until her tiny glass face is level with mine. This, this can't be happening. I try to scream, but it gets stuck in my throat. She smiles the most malicious, toothy smile. I didn't, I didn't even know she had teeth. And then she starts forcing herself into my mouth. I'm paralyzed. I'm hyperventilating. But every breath I take, she uses as leverage to inch her way further down my throat. Cynthia tastes like salt and dust. She slides even further down my throat, but it doesn't hurt. My throat is making room for her. When she is almost all the way down, her shoe pops off and lands on my tongue. Cynthia drops down inside me, as if I've always harbored a cavern inside my body. She turns herself around so that she can reach her tiny arms up to grab her shoe. I am terrified and shivering. Suddenly, I stand up as if I'm in a trance and lie down in my bed, passing out immediately. The next morning... I awake to the sound of someone unlocking my door. My stepdad walks in, and I clutch my covers tighter. He makes his way to the bed and sits down. I feel him stroke my face, and I know what's coming. I let the fear control my body, paralyzing me. But when he says, Are you ready for your lesson? Something in my small body changes. I am no longer me. I have no control over myself. I look toward my doll, but she's gone. It wasn't a dream. That's when I hear his blood-curdling screams. I feel something running down my face. I taste... metal? I look down and realize it's his blood, and he is not screaming anymore. There is a gaping hole where his neck used to be. My body starts moving. My hand reaches down and breaks the chain with no effort. And when I start heading towards the stairway, I know that my mother is next. Yay, Cynthia! <laughs> Nasty. Creepy. I hate dolls. I hate anything that has to do with dolls. Same. Same Z's. Okay, so I have one more story. So this one was posted by U slash Gold Z Coin, and it is titled Dark River Camp. Many years ago, when I was a teenager, my friends and I decided to venture to Camp Dark River, located deep in the Blackwood Forest, a place we used to visit on our summer vacations to enjoy nature adventures. The afternoon faded as we explored the deteriorating wooden cabins. A whispering voice, like a distant echo, called to us from deep in the forest, dragging us into the darkness. Intrigued and terrified, we followed the sound, not knowing what we would find. As we moved forward, the sun sank behind the trees, casting ominous shadows across the, our path. The leaves crunched under our feet, and the sound of the nearby river told us that we were close to our destination. The golden rays of the full moon were beginning to fill, 
filter through the branches, increasing the mystery of the place. As we approached the camp, a strange feeling of unease came over us. Tales of sightings and whispers in the woods seemed to come to life around us, but we were determined to discover the truth behind these stories. We set up our tent near the river and lit a campfire. As we shared stories and laughter, the atmosphere grew heavier and heavier. It was, it was as if the forest was listening, waiting for the night to come to reveal its darkest secrets. As darkness took over the place, we began to hear whispers, barely audible voices that seemed to come from the shadows of the forest. We tried to ignore them, convincing ourselves that they were simple tricks of the mind. But when shadows began to move through the trees, our bravery quickly faded. That night, a group of us gathered around a cackling campfire by the eerie, murmuring river. It was a starry night, but the feeling that something was not right hung in the air as if the forest held dark secrets. As the night progressed, we began to hear strange whispers coming from the river. We ignored the sounds at first, thinking they were just our imagination, playing tricks, or just the fish in the river. We continued telling ghost stories and laughing, but the whispers became more audible, as if someone was trying to communicate with us from the depths of the water. Finally, one of us, the bravest, Thomas, decided to approach the river with a flashlight in his hand. When I illuminated the water, nothing happened. They just looked like fish swimming. But then John, acting brave, grabbed the flashlight, and to everyone's surprise, we saw a pale and shadowy reflection that chilled our blood. To our horror, we discovered a pale, emaciated face slowly emerging from the water. It was a lifeless face with empty sockets and hair soaked in algae. Lucia, John's girlfriend, who was the most afraid, and Carolina, my girlfriend, screamed that made this scene even, even worse. Our screams of terror and fear filled the air as a lifeless body emerged more completely from the water, revealing a drowned human being wearing a crumpled and torn t-shirt. He was covered in algae and moss, and his eyes were empty like those of a corpse. The eerie specter attempted to break, but produced only a guttural murmur. His bony, wrinkled fingers extended towards us as if he were trying to grab us. In an act of panic, we retreated and ran back towards the tents, starting the campfire and creating a barrier of light. The lifeless being recoiled from the glare, letting out an inhuman wail before vanishing into the river. We stood there, paralyzed with fear, not knowing if we had seen what a vengeful spirit or simply an illusion of darkness. We spent the rest of the night awake, listening to the whispers and feeling the eerie presence that lurked in the forest. When dawn finally broke, we hurriedly packed our things and left Dark River Camp, vowing never to return. Since that night, the Dark River Camp was abandoned. The wooden bridge that crossed the river was covered with weeds, as if nature itself wanted to hide what happened there. The story of that fateful night became a legend of terror that endured over time, a reminder that sometimes, in the darkness of nature, and dark and vengeful secrets are hidden. Although we never discovered the truth behind the apparitions and whispers in that place, that experience remains etched in our minds forever. Dark River Camp remained a mystery, an enigma that defied logic and reason, a place where the paranormal and the unknown intertwined in the shadows of the dark forest. Ooh, good one. I like that one. It's a good one. I love a good, uh, like, 
It's like a mix of like abandoned building slash camp story. Yeah, camp stories are one of my favorites, especially in the woods. There's yeah. just something about it. Yep, yep. I'm ready to hear the uh, historical story that you have for us today. Alrighty. Well, I'm actually pretty excited about this one. I had a good time writing it and Heck yeah. researching it. And I think it's a good introduction to spooky season because it's a little spooky, but not too spooky. Well, it has to be spooky. That's literally the point of this podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> I have to find something else. <laughs> Today, we are in for a super fun story, one that I know many people from the Salt Lake area will be familiar with and have probably taken part of including myself and Jesse, as well as some pals back in our time. Okay, so let's set the scene. I want you to picture this. It's a late Friday night in October. You and your date and maybe some friends are running out of the final turn of the maze at the Nightmare on 13th haunted house, being chased out by a chainsaw-wielding maniac who's hot on your heels. The crisp autumn air, the scent of kettle corn and fog machines greet your senses upon your chaotic exit. Walking back to the dimly lit parking lot, dodging the scary actors running around, pumped full of adrenaline, and not ready for this exciting night to end, you all decide to head to the Piper Down pub for some late night grub and tunes to let the nerves settle. You park on State Street next to a row of beautifully kept Harleys and walk through the heavy double doors, welcomed by the sights and sounds that come with the old world Irish pub. You're greeted by a warmly lit original brick room, the sound of clinking glasses, a friendly grin from the bartender, and the soul-warming smell of greasy food and faint cigarette smoke. How can it get any more cozy? You sit down at a table for four, and it's almost impossible to hear each other speak as the music from the live band booms through the air. But you don't mind. The only thing on your brain is a made-with-love shepherd's pie. The night has been perfect so far, and even though it's well after midnight, you don't want to go home yet. After you toss back the last few table fries and finish the final gulp of your drink, you stand up and say, Hey guys, I've got an idea. Have you ever heard of Allen Park? Your group hops in the car, and off you go through the streets of Salt Lake City. You make sure to backtrack a little bit and drive past Liberty Park on your way to Sugar House. As you pass the expanse of an urban park devoid of any light, the story rings through your mind. So with a grin, you set the spooky mood and tell your pals about the Halloween mask that a little boy found in the water at that very pond that you can barely see outlined in moonlight within the depths of Liberty Park. As the little boy pulled what he believed to be a very heavy Halloween mask out of the shallows, to his terror, a body came with it. This was the body of a murdered nurse discarded in the pond, and her murderer has never been found. Speaking of which, go listen to our Halloween Mask in the Water episode from last year. One year ago this month, actually. Because we really dive into this very true and very terrifying cold case that has never been solved. Then you and your crew continue on past Liberty and get closer to the infamous Allen Park. As you approach the terrifying street, you pass the old Westminster College and can't help but tell your friends about the gothic-style buildings haunting past and how echoes of laughter and footsteps can be heard from the top level, even when no one else is inside the building. Shadowed by the old-school architecture and amping up for the adventure of a lifetime, you park across the street and turn around and let your group in on a very little secret. The alleyway through those dark trees leads to a circle of small houses. 
Now before we walk through, there's something you all need to know. Inside of those houses are a bunch of little people, banished to a confined neighborhood and fenced off from the rest, from the rest of the world. And last I heard, they don't take too kindly to strangers, so lay low, try not to set off the motion lights, and be as quiet as possible. You quietly close your car door and pull the drawstrings of your hood down. With memories of found footage style videos from YouTube playing in your head of little people running after teenagers who dare to enter their neighborhood in the dark hours of the night, throwing rocks at the cars, you make your way quietly and slowly into Allen Park, or as it's more lovingly dubbed, Hobbitville. Suddenly, the motion spotlights turn on and flood the circle of small homes with bright light, blinding you and your friends as you try to run away through the trees to the road. You keep turning around expecting to be hit by a rock at any moment, but to your surprise, there's no one in sight. Not even a door opens or a shadow by a window. In fact, all of the houses are pitch dark. Now let's dive into the true history of Salt Lake's beloved Hobbitville, or as it's actually named, Allen Park. The eight acres of land that is Allen Park were originally purchased by Dr. George Allen and his wife Ruth in 1931. George was a doctor who worked at the state penitentiary, which interestingly enough, used to be located right where Sugar House Park sits today. That's something that intrigues me, so I'm looking forward to learning more about that. Dr. Allen had a passion for conservation, and he loved animals of all kinds, particularly birds. He and his wife created a pathway along the stream that runs through their property and adorned it with fountains, a swimming pool, and numerous beautiful exotic birds, an urban sanctuary of peace and tranquility. I also found an article saying that the Allens had an elephant, some reindeer, birds of all sorts, and even a chimpanzee on their lot. The first home in the park was completed in 1933, and over the years, the couple purchased old cottages from mining towns and had them moved all the way to Salt Lake City and placed on their land so they could rent them out and make additional income. If you've ever been to Allen Park, especially in the daytime, you might remember seeing unique fencing and mosaic tiled artwork all over the place. Well, Ruth was an artist and she wanted to brighten up their acres by adding her precious tile work wherever she could. And I really appreciate that about her because her artwork, like the mosaic and the stained glass, they hold a special place in my heart. The Allens seemed like the kind of neighbors anyone would be lucky to have. In doing my research on the family, it was mentioned numerous times that George was a super generous man and he was well known for providing medical services free of charge for anyone who couldn't afford a doctor's visit. The 30 different units in Allen Park stayed active renting all the way until 2019, until the tenants were evicted. The old mining houses were beginning to fall apart, and I imagine it became quite an obnoxious hazard to have dubious teenagers running around the surrounding woods at night in an effort to see the so-called hobbits that lived in the crumbling structures. Throughout 2020, locals were worried that the land would be desecrated and sold to contractors looking to squish as many tiny homes on the property as possible because after all it's prime real estate but alas the city could breathe in 2021 when salt lake announced they had purchased allen park for a whopping 7.5 million and are turning it into a beautiful open-air public pedestrian park with efforts to preserve its features 
and to continue to be inspired by the beautiful artwork left behind by Ruth. Jeremy, Ratchet, and Kaw, the three remaining beloved neighborhood peacocks still roam the ground and welcome the visitors. I think if the Allens were still alive today, they would be very pleased with this outcome. Now that being said, you might be wondering why it was called Hobbitville and how that urban legend started. Unfortunately, that's a question I can't answer, as I'm not so sure myself of how it started. But then again, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly how many myths and legends start. Something I did find interesting was the caretaker who was left to watch the property was known to run out after the mischievous kids at night and chase them away with a shotgun. As for the residents, there's no evidence of any little people ever living at the Allen property. My best guess as to how the rumor started is the homes were quite small, as you can imagine, and it seemed like the spaces were built for children. So when word got out that people were actually living there, like professors at Westminster and students, some person who worked across the street at the university must have been reading Lord of the Rings at the time and thought that the beautiful park and its quirky homes were reminiscent of the Shire. So next time you go to Sugar House, stop for a coffee and enjoy a stroll through the amazingly curated Allen Park. Gander at all the art pieces left behind by Ruth and think about the kind doctor who just wanted to build a community based on generosity. But if you're ever there after dusk when the park closes, don't stay too long. Don't wander into the woods and most importantly, keep your eyes peeled for little gnomes who will chase you away. When was the last time you were there? With you. That was the last time? Yeah. Okay. So from what I remember, um, they, yeah, they have these like massive speed bumps to, I would imagine, deter people from speeding out of there, which um, at the time worked because the car I had was a lowered WRX. And I could not get over those bumps. Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and so I had to go very slow. Very sideways. Yeah, very sideways. And, but yeah, we pull in and it's just like this alley. And of course, there's no trespassing signs everywhere. There's a massive fence, like a wrought iron fence. Mm -hmm. And this floodlight comes on <laughs> right <laughs> over us. Screaming. <laughs> all of us in the car, yeah, just freaking out, like, what's happening? And yeah, and then we slowly but surely got out of there. But yeah, it is it is definitely I mean, they've cleaned it up now, but back then it was definitely an interesting place to go visit because of the weird I guess, yeah, I don't know, artwork, uh statues, stuff like that. Just the fountain in the middle of all the houses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the houses were falling apart, too, so that just adds to the creepy element of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's one way in, one way out, and it's surrounded by trees, so that adds a creepy element. Uh, I think I've been there one other time, and we walked in. Uh, excuse me, we walked in. Of course, it was my buddy and I, and we had dates, and so we tried to be like, oh, no, it's cool. Like, come on in. It's I know freaky. the owner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember actually, like, kind of hanging back because I was worried. Um, one, it was super late, and I just wanted to go home. I was tired. And two, um, I was just worried that, yeah, something would happen, like we'd get caught or I don't know. I was just kind of over it at that point. 
But my my buddy I was with, he was like, nah, let's keep going. And I don't know how far they went, but my date and I, we kind of hung back um, closer towards the fountain. But they the, the other two just kept walking. But I felt like the fountain was pretty far in. <laughs> here, like, guys, we are in plain view of everyone here. Luckily, the spotlight didn't go off because we huh? were we had walked in. We would parked by the uh, college. Oh, and okay. Across the street, and so we just walked in. So, yeah, it's a fun place. I haven't been there. Obviously, we both haven't been there since they've uh, remodeled it, refurbished it, cleaned yeah, it up. <laughs> they they cleaned it up a lot. Now it's a nice walking park. While you were telling the story, I was looking up uh, to see if there were updated pictures, and it looks like they f- they fenced off the the homes. Um, so yeah, it looks like it's a walking path now with, um, with the homes are still there, but you just, yeah, you can't go in, go inside them, which I want to go inside them. I want to see if it's really built for little people. I know I do too. And several articles that I found, they talked about how the appliances inside of the homes were often really small. Mm, And so maybe it's because they were from the old mining towns where everything was just like quick build and get out. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but I really do think it had something to do with it being super tranquil and all the animals and someone being like, yeah, that's the Shire of Salt Lake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. The Shire of Salt Lake. Cool. Well, do you have anything else for us today? That's it for me. All right, guys. We will scare you in the next one. Stay spooky. Bye. <laughs>